Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, and I invite you uh, to season five. This is my fifth season of doing podcasts. I interview amazing people in crypto, blockchain, around the world, entrepreneurs, founders, executives, artists, you name it. Um, and it's been a really splendid uh, journey so far, and I'm looking forward to continuing it. And we're going to continue it right now. And uh, I want to thank and welcome to um, the season, uh, the, the first episode of the season, uh, Mr. Uh, Mark Mercury, who's the head of blockchain at Shrapnel. Uh, Mark, welcome. Jamil, great to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, I... It's funny because I interviewed Don Norbury, who was my first podcast guest of season three. <laughs> so um, it's great to have you here. And um, let's kick things off and ask you first, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Yeah, um, so I uh, was a startup guy that went to Microsoft, ended up staying there for 18 years, was mostly an early stage tech guy. Um, I got my sabbatical there, and um, usually when you take your sabbatical at Microsoft, you come back, you work on a big thing. And I, uh, while I was on sabbatical, started looking at Bitcoin and blockchain and 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 uh, uh, various blockchain technologies that are out there. And I came back, and they said, Mark, we've got this great uh, opportunity for you. You're going to work on HoloLens, and you're going to go around to these sports stadiums that are being built all over the world, and and it's going to be this really cool thing. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that. And they're like, are you crazy? Like, why would you not want to do that? It's like, is this blockchain thing, I think it's going to be a thing. And so I spent a bunch of time uh, at, at Microsoft, both sort of figuring out uh, different scenarios that we could build, um, talking to people from every industry and our executive briefing center were there. And then um, ended up building up a bunch of products that worked with a number of different blockchains. So now, you know, in the world of Polynaya and the, the future of multiple interconnected networks, um, that's what I had to look at back then, right? And so I had to build Azure Blockchain Service, which connected up to you know any number of blockchains and be flexible to do that. And and um, we integrated with Truffle, with uh, you know Consensus Truffle, who I would then go on to work with at Consensus, uh, and then um, build out low code, no code tools for blockchain and and whatnot. And really, can got to work with some great companies like Starbucks and work with them on their supply chain. So before they launched this new um, uh, loyalty card program, they did recently. They started with, with supply chain with me a couple of years ago um, during the pandemic. I went and built some services and launched a platform called Dataverse for Teams, which is inside a team. So how do you build apps inside of there? And then I got to the end of that and we launched that. And uh, I was watching the news and, and I'm usually a guy who's in tech five years too early. Like at the very beginning and it had been five years and I started watching CNBC and I saw them. I think I said to myself, they have to watch, they have to mention Bitcoin or Ethereum at least like three days out of the week. And then I'll know it's time for me to sort of leave and go do something else. And so they did it five days that week. And so I knew Joe Lubin from when I worked at, at um, Microsoft. And I said, Joe, I haven't been to church in a while, but I haven't lost religion. I really believe in in, in, uh, in uh, the potential here, you know, and this to change the world. And, and Joe is exactly who you would think he is. Uh, uh, he's the real deal. And and so I thought no no better place to go than to work for Joe. So I worked there for, for uh, a bit. We launched... Um, Core blockchain service, which is kind of weird. We took all the service customers from when I was at Microsoft and brought them over to where I was then. And then we launched an NFT service there. Oh, we also had Azure, we launched Azure blockchain tokens um, before I left back in 2018. I'm not even sure if OpenSea was a thing then there. Um, and then I got cold called by the folks at Trapdoll. And and before they did, we had had an offsite and I was a big believer in the potential for gaming 
to uh, you know bring this technology into the mainstream. And you know, what better way than when I got the cold call to say, hey, um, we're building a AAA first-person shooter uh, with talent that's built some of the world's most beloved games, and uh, we're looking for head of blockchain. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 almost as if everything I've been doing between uh, my work in Microsoft and Consensus has been sort of leading, getting me all the the skills and the perspective to really execute well here. And it's it's just been a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. So, um, what let me find out. First of all, you mean you mentioned the shooter game, right? But what is Shrap now all about, right? Including you know, any latest developments and the status of your shooter game and other games and the NFT collections? Yeah, so here's the here's the key thing. It's been for me, it's been a as a for folks at home can't see the my background here. I have like an arcade in my house, right? So I'm a huge gamer, but I've never actually been in the game industry myself. And so um when they tell me about the people that were working here, it really is about people who worked on Bioshock and Call of Duty and Halo and things like that. Some of the games that I've loved. And, and and that's a key thing I think in the blockchain space, right? Is that a lot of games that um, a, lot, a lot of people that I talked to when I was in my my prior role, they were building blockchains. It was like an, an NFT game, or it was a blockchain game, and so it was more about technology first than than fun. And so I, I think the big thing here is with Shrapnel, it's really is saying like focus on the fun, right? And just make sure that we're building something that's great that people are going to want to play. And, and if you're die believer, if you're a gamer, that's fantastic. But if you're also a, a, a Web3 true believer, it's also fantastic. Because if you build something that people want to spend hours and hours playing and enjoying and telling their friends about, it's only going to further drive, drive that through. So what they're building is a first-person extraction shooter. Um, uh, the first-person shooter genre has been around for a while. This is a, a new variant of, of that. Um, Escape from Tarkov, I think, is one of the first ones in the space. And you're seeing more come in now. Where it's not just a first-person shooter, but you can actually get to extraction points. And when you get to those extraction points, whatever you have with you, you can take with you. And if you happen to find weapons inside of the game, you can bring those weapons out with you. Um, and um, from an NFT perspective, what's what's super hot for me is is that, you know, historically, you know, we've been working with a you know a lot of blockchains where the, the transactions per second is relatively modest and they're shared environments, things like that. Um, here we've been working uh, with this on Avalanche, and so. The throughput of this is quite large, and so that allows me a lot of freedom. So I've got all these people that have been pushing the envelope forever in games, right? And so now they want to bring that to the blockchain space. And there are things we can do here that we weren't able to do before. And so like a weapon isn't necessarily a weapon. It's a set of NFTs that can be composited together to be a weapon. And then you can win that, and you can break them apart, and you can put them together in other different combinations. You can sell those. But but just like when I was working at, and talking about the, you know, how does my experience help? Like when I was at Starbucks, we helped look at the lineage of your coffee from when it was a set of beans all the way through to it being on the shelf at, at your local retail and so you'll have full history of the of each part as well as all those parts together um and so the, the gun has a history and suppose it gets broken apart you'll be able to over time do treasure hunting and bring that stuff back together and so really really interesting stuff here and so the throughput we have is going to allow us to do a lot of really interesting things with blockchain and and why that's super important is because at the core of this you know, the, the thing about Trapnel is it's it's a great game, um, but the way that they're using, they're not saying, hey, we're going to build a blockchain game. It starts with, hey, we believe in ownership, right? And we want people to be able to create and own and sell and have agency with the things that they they, they create um, and and truly own it. It's it's not like, oh, well, the season's over. You can't, you don't own that anymore. Or, oh, the company went out of business. You don't own that anymore. 
in, in those sorts of things. And so with, with blockchain, and we've been investing a lot of time in this, um, and this is where you know, my background sort of working with multiple different blockchains is coming in as well, is we're building out um, ways to create and define game items that can handle super advanced scenarios um, that can also, um, that gives people a lot of flexibility in terms of how we build it. But then also you can take those and own that. And then everything we're doing is also bridgeable because we realize that, hey, we want super high throughput for the game, but there may be scenarios where you buy a legendary weapon used by this famous streamer that might be worth a million dollars, right? Or, or $500,000 worth of that. You might want to take that and bridge that to um, Polygon or to uh, Ethereum for like a DeFi protocol and, and do those sorts of, sort of things. And so like this is where the experience from Microsoft building stuff at large scale is super helpful, but then the experience from consensus, just understanding like DeFi at a really deep level with the company that you know created MetaMask and NPR and those sorts of things. And so the combination of those things together is, is, is there. But if you look at it, at Shrapnel, you've got this great first person shooter. Um, you can, whatever you extract, you own, whatever you lose, you, you lose. And so stakes are real, which makes it, we're, we're finding that people really, really enjoy that in the category. Um, and then, um, you know, there's this combination of not just the game, but there's also um, a set of foundry tools that allow you to create like stickers and skins. And so you can create um, stickers and those stickers can be put on skins and those skins can be put on different parts of the weapons. <coughs> and I can tell you, um, I'm a big Rick and Morty fan. So I made a Pickle Rick um, uh, sticker the other day. I saw that in game in a video when people were playtesting with my sticker. It, I'm not sure if I was Beavis or Butthead, but I was like laughing like a 14 year old boy when I saw it in reality. I can't, can't tell folks how cool that is. And then for folks who design those stickers, um, uh, or, or you have the weapons that you want and those sorts of things, we also have a really great marketplace. And so everything you would expect from an NFT marketplace um, will, will be there. Um, and then, you know, for the NFTs, the what's, what's a lot of fun is that um, a lot of folks, when they look at games, they look at the NFTs just for the game. But what's great is we've got a, a fantastic marketing organization. And they've sort of educated me. It's like, well, there's the game. But as, like, as a gamer, you hear about the game a long time in advance and a long time afterwards, right? And so there's a whole bunch of things they want to do to build up community and build up um, excitement. And so we've got NFTs that are like commemorative NFTs. We've got some that provide uh, some generative NFTs that also provide utility and access to things. We've got transmedia NFTs, which give you access to comic books um, and also redeemable NFTs. So that's one of the things we're working on right now um, where you can get an NFT that's a great you know, collectible for you to have, but you can also present that in game um and then redeem that for an item and because there are these bridgeable assets and they can be sold and you truly own them you can sell that to somebody else if you want so it's very 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 cool awesome and uh i have a follow-up from there you said what you own you own and what you lose you lose and recently there's been a lot of loss you know not just i'm not just talking about centralized exchanges but nfts you know, too, there's been some bridge thefts. You know, how do you protect your users uh, of your game so that when they think they own something, they actually do and no one else can get to it? So there's a, this is something we actually take very, very seriously. Um, and so one of the things we do is, um, and, I, and so here's the thing, Jamil, I can't tell you everything because as you've probably seen in other games, uh, let's just say I've had lots of people from North Korea apply for jobs at our company. Um, and so there's a, an active interest in people trying to 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 um, to do exactly what you're saying. So there's a number of things that that uh, we we bring to the table there. Some of them off disclosed the podcast, but as you might imagine from my Microsoft experience, um, a lot of that was for enterprises, and a lot of the enterprises focusing on blockchain in the early days were banks. 
Um, and so you might imagine like the hoops that I had to jump through for security for likes of large, whether it's hedge funds or investment banks and those sorts of things. And so we're bringing a lot of those, those uh, techniques um, and approaches and vendors to bear. Uh, we do that, like we have a, you know, we have a cyber person we work with uh, weekly um, on some of the stuff we're doing. So we're putting a lot of great protections that are in there. Um, but it's not something, it's probably best for me just to say that we're taking it very seriously. Um, and I don't want to disclose too much, primarily because that's an attack vector for folks. No, I understand. <laughs> I'm glad you said enough. Um, it's in your mind, so that's good. Um, so I want to know how you guys, how Shrapnel has weathered the crypto contagion. You know, overall, you know, it's been a, it's been a really a bear winter market. So is that impacting you? How's that impacting you? And how's that working on your positioning? Yeah, I mean, so the key thing is that I, I think if you position as blockchain first, it has a much bigger um, impact in terms of, of positioning and, and that sort of thing. Um, we talk about ownership and blockchain technology is a tool to provide that, that ownership for, for folks. And so I, I think we've been weathering it just, just fine. I mean, um, of course, we wouldn't we'd rather it, you know, not to have seen some of the stuff we've seen over the last few months. Uh, and we hope that that um, the, the market uh, writes itself over, over the next couple of months. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, the team continues to focus on the fun of build, building a great game. And that 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 is going to help us um, across that. The, the one thing I will say is it's it's helped us with talent, um, with the craziness in the crypto space. Um, there are some people who are offering just obscene pay packages that just weren't realistic for anyone in the industry trying to build stuff. And so I think we found some folks that uh, we, we've, we've seen in more of an equilibrium in the crypto winter, which allows us access to, to retail. Nice, good. Um, so recently, you know, and, and we talked about, I just brought up the contagion, right? So the, most of the crypto is down. People are waiting on the sidelines, right? But there's not, there's one small area, not, I guess not so small, but one area that's really booming and that is community NFTs and also meme coins, right? How is um, Trapnell looking to capture the value of the community NFT space? I think you know the the key thing for growing, you know, whether it's 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 Trapnell or you know other types of, of products. The key thing is is there are lots of different communities out there. It's the degree that you can bring um, other people's communities to our communities. It's a, it's a great experience all, all around. And so one of the things that our, our marketing team has been doing is lots of collabs and things like that with other folks in the space. And so I think they're going to continue to do that and, and we'll drive uh, some really interesting, uh, uh, interesting work for us going forward. Okay. Um, and if folks haven't, haven't subscribed already, the, the Shrapnel Twitter feed like advertises these collabs and the Discord uh, is super active. Uh, and so there's lots of different things we have going on with games. Uh, in different communities and um, early access to, you know, mints and other and, and access to games and other things like that in the space. So lot, lots of interesting stuff there. If folks want to check those out. So you're a very active Discord um, channel. We do. I, it, it's one of the things. It's you know there were periods of time where I was in there like every week where we just like meet the team. I, I mean, in terms of not, I'm in there regularly, but like actually as a as part or either on a Twitter space or inside of a Discord stage. Um, and there's just lots of engagement in their 24 seven. There's games, like we'll play games with folks in the community and, and there's lots of internal discussion. 
And then what we're doing is, um, and this is one of the things I love about this company, right? Um, is that we're doing this development with a lot of transparency with, with the community. So we're showing them art. And, and like, I think on Friday, it was like, hey, do you want to see more about vehicles? Do you want to see more about props and stuff that we're putting in there? And so a lot of, when you go to Discord, you get to see stuff early um, and, and it helps bring excitement for the game and makes people feel like they're part of the, the process and, and also lets them sort of weigh in on certain things as, as we go. So not quite a DAO yet, but like DAO-like behavior um, as, as the game moves forward. Awesome. So um, I want to go back to a little bit about your Microsoft experience, right? Um, how do you see the retail customer crypto experience playing out? You know, you because you have this wonderful institutional, you know, background and you have, you know, retailers who have been recently scared off a little bit of the market. So how can how do you see them, you know, staying out or coming back in or how do you how do you see the whole retail you know, uh, people, you know, population playing out over time um, from your perspective? Yeah, and so there's, we're looking at varying levels of scale, right? So if you look at the work that MasterCard and Visa are doing um, and the way that people are looking at NFTs, and so it used to be you had to buy crypto to get NFTs, but there's, if you talk to like a MasterCard there are two, or, or providers like a MoonPay, you know, there are two different flows, right? So one is, crypto for NFTs, but the other one is fiat for NFTs. And so, and because the other problem that people don't really talk about is that when people try to buy NFTs in the past, like the, the failure or crypto to buy NFTs in the past, the failure rate on transactions was really high. But, you know, I used to work for the company that made MetaMask, right? And so I wanted to buy some crypto when I was going through the interface and I used like four different providers there, I used, or three, I used like Wire and Transact and, and uh, there's another one in there. And um, my credit cards rejected all the transactions. And uh, out of a, an abundance of caution, one credit com card company um, canceled my card and reissued it because of concerns. So, so that that was a concern there. And but what you see now is that they're saying no, actually NFTs are a different category, and um, and so it's now a digital good, not dissimilar to like a, a movie you might buy at Amazon or things like that for online. And so I think for like the the retail end consumer. Um, there's a level of understanding that the digital collectible space has driven that has been has already had the wheels in motion for some time and it's starting to come to fruition now, both in what the like the major credit card companies and, and, and other folks like that are, are doing, as well as the people who build services that wrap those, that that it's gonna be fairly um, fairly straightforward for people to engage in and, and buy NFTs and goods and things like that. Um, I think on the on the retail purchase of, of, of cryptocurrency, if you're looking at like institutional investors, I think some are going to be looking at um, things like Ethereum and, um, and and staking and things like that. Um, and and there's some opportunities there um, that uh, and that uh, you know when I was uh, in my last role, there was lots of interest from like institutional investors and sort of moving into that space. I think that will that will continue. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the key thing is that um, we're sort of moving out of the, the hype cycle for, for blockchain technology and, and crypto right now. Um, there's talk, you know, you know, the, if you look at the work that's being done around um, uh, digital native coins um, for, for governments, that's picking up some steam now as well. There's, there's efficiencies and layers of trust and other things like that that are coming through. So I think we're, we're, we're on a path to, to definitely becoming used more. I think the the key thing there is 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 as we look at you know the, the blow up that happened at FTX, 
and, and, and some of the other players. I think the key thing there is, um, you know, when we do stuff with, with customers, we have to do like a, a KYC or know your customer for anti-money laundering and those sorts of things. I, I think if, when people go back and look at some of these things that were the biggest blowups, I think there are people who knew what the processes were and knew what the things, the right questions to ask were. And sometimes the, uh, they opted not to pursue that. And, and you see that if you look at what Kevin O'Leary talked about, some of the people did with, with FTX, it was, it was in that space as well, right? And so I think it's the, you know, the old saying, like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like there's, yeah, there are some bad actors. There's some really, really good actors, people doing some great stuff that is super trustworthy, you know, based on my role, Microsoft and consensus, I've seen it from, from very multiple dimensions. And so the key thing is just like, yeah, and every time there's, and we saw this when the internet was, was new, right? Like there, there are bad actors and they're going to try and take money and those sorts of things. And then they will come and fizzle out and, and what have you. And, and then the people that are doing good work will continue to move forward. Um, the other thing I'll say about crypto winter though, is, is that um, if you go back and look at the last crypto winter, some of the most amazing innovations happened as a result of people who pivoted during that time. And so I'm more excited uh, in the next, next you know, six months, six to nine months, there's going to be a ton of new innovations that are coming out um, based on people who just sort of pivoted because um, of some of the changes that are there. So I, I think, and that's going to draw And some of the things I'm already seeing are more vertically driven, which is going to drive much easier adoption. So to tied to a particular industry, for example. Um, which may drive drive adoption even further. And that's my next. That's my follow up question. Is this what do you see coming out of this crypto winter? What are some of the things that you that that will drive? Like, what are they? Yeah. So I think here's here's the thing that, and, and I've I've been an early stage tech guy for a long time. You know, you can't see me on the call, but lots of gray hair, right? And so the. The, the thing that I've noticed, in, and I talk to people about in the crypto space, and I've seen this like <clears throat> in every technology that I've got into an early early stage, right? Is that um, there are people that who are the early adopters who I, I would say have a high threshold for pain, right? And so like you don't need a lot of documentation, like they're true believers. This is the world's best thing, and there's a there's a mindset like, hey, my thing is is the most important thing in the world, and you need to go through the pain to go learn it. And the reality is that most people say. No, no, thank you, right? And so um, one of the things that I think is, is, is gonna come out of crypto winter, and it's gonna have to, is one of the things that I'm doing as part of the platform that we're building here in, in Trackle, is that you wanna empower people to do great things with the technology, right? Um, if everyone who wanted to use something that had a database behind the scenes had to learn all the technology about databases, you wouldn't have as many things that use databases, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality of it, right? And so, like with, with Shrapnel and, and so the platform we have called Bridge that's under the covers for this, the, the, the key thing here is that people want to interact with, with weapons and characters and cosmetics in gear and land and those sorts of things. And what they don't want to know is like, hey, should this be a 721 or an ERC 771 or an 1155? Oh, but if we want to do rent, if we want to rent these out or if we want to do combine these together, like which EIPs do I need to know and all this that? It's like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to focus on the fun. I want to build a great game. And I want to go ahead and go do that. And so I think the people that are going to come out of crypto winter, I think you'll see some really interesting stuff in the ZK space. Uh, and, and, and I think that was already on a trajectory and that, that will be the focus. But I also think there's going to be people like us who are focusing on like, hey, this, this is a super powerful technology for things that you want to go do. And if you're in gaming or if you're in 
you know, um, finance or if you're in, um, in you know, in insurance or media production and those sorts of things, there's a bunch of really interesting things you can go do. And the people who make it very easy for people who can do those scenarios to use it in, in, and build it into their workflows is, is super key. And so I think, you know, understanding like what's the terminology people use? Like they don't use EIP and ERC, right? What, what are the workflows they use? What are the tools they use? And how do you integrate that? And so to the degree that you can reduce the friction for people to, to leverage the capabilities that are there, um, <coughs> and then connect with other people is key. Um, and, and I hope, you know, education is, is you know, I'm always a big believer in, in education, right? It's like, um, I'll tell you, in the early days of blockchain, I had people who call me up. There's one guy who was a consultant in Europe. And I swear the guy was on the verge of tears. Like, dude, this, this can't be this difficult. Like I built like large scale systems like this is, this is it's like the documentation is horrible. And so but this is that transition right between like, hey, you're a true believer, early adopter, high threshold for pain. And so you're like, hey, I've got a day job, but I've got an idea. And so I think we'll see more stuff there. And, and I do think we'll see it more in the, in the low code, no code space as well. So really sort of working with the terminology people understand, the tools they understand and make it make it super easy. And I, and I do think you'll see like um, games like a shrapnel. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be here. I mean, Shrapnel has the ability to influence this across multiple dimensions. It's got an amazing game. It's got this great set of creator tools, and it has a marketplace, right? And so we have all these different pieces together, so we can really um, sort of showcase the art of the possible there because it's not um, – and, and everything we're doing is bridgeable, so we can go to any chain that's there and, and all the rest. So I'm really excited about um, the – the opportunities for folks that are there because I think those are the things that will be getting getting funded. And I, I think the, the interesting thing for me about stuff in the gaming space is that, you know, if you think like at its core, what is a game? A, a game is, is, is a universe. It's a world, right? And that world has all the analogs we have in real life. Right? It's another reason why I'm here, right? And so it, you've got, um, whether it's, it's goods or services or, or media and those sorts of things. And so we're figuring out all the patterns here in, in our world, but there's no reason why they couldn't translate to the real world later on. And so I think as people build out games and things around, whether it's games or metaverse, you're figuring out a bunch of different patterns for how this could work out in a world in a playable fashion where you'll get millions of people to go bang on it. And then you can take those to other scenarios as well. So so I think there's just a ton here, both in, in the gaming space. Um, and then I think um, with uh, chains like Avalanche and things that happen with ZK, I think there's just going to be uh, much more throughput, which really frees people up to be super creative um, in terms of what they can do, where before they were fairly constrained um, in the past. I, I've been, I, I've felt really liberated working with, with um, the, the Avalanche chain, just because I, I've, the first meeting I had with them, as I looked at, because I hadn't spent a lot of time working with Avalanche, to be candid, before I came to, to Shrapnel. And I was looking at the feature set, I'm like, wow, it seems like you guys actually listened. Like, like all the things that I needed to actually be able to, to move things forward, which is great. With the throughput that's like, oh, I have a lot more options to go do that. So I think as more people see that too during crypto winter, they'll they'll see uh, they'll come up with some really fun stuff for us to see in, in, in a few months' time. I, I think I think it's probably like six to nine months out. You'll see lots of stuff coming out from from a number of places. I hope the bear market's only six to nine months and not two to three years. So, um, but you, you you did you did say a couple things. Uh, one is you know you're talking process flow. You're talking my language because I used to work in IT for a number of years and we said creator tools and, and, and market um, marketplaces, right? Um, so, and I'll talk about your background a little bit, right? You have 26 patents, at least your bio says you have 26 patents, I guess, all Microsoft, right? Um, you know, 
another area of contention that's going to come out of the scripted winner, I believe, is going to be, you know, the, the fight in the patent copyright space, right? It might be a little bit of a battlefield, right? How do you see that battlefield playing out and what do content creators and people need to do to protect their copyright and ownership, um, you know, and in as that as that develops and that as that space develops yeah so i think you know it's actually something again is this is one of the nice thing about building something um with people that are inherently creators and, and world builders here at travel um is that um you want to provide portability right and so you want to be able to have people take their assets and truly own them but the same token you say hey but these assets may not be licensed for certain things Right? Like if you look at like uh, I did some work when I was at Microsoft with NASA, right? And if you ever seen like the NASA, they call it the meatball logo, like the circle with NASA written on it. Like you can use there's fairly permissible uses for that logo in many, many scenarios, except for like pornography and some other things like that, right? And so you may say, hey, like you can use this character or this gun in any any game that you want, except for these things. Or this could be the allowed areas. These are the things that we've sort of licensed it for use. And so the key thing is that you can include um um license terms with what's what's there um and so um and we look at that from multiple dimensions right and so one is hey from um if i just create like a general asset can i have a license that's attached to that the answer is, is yes <coughs> we also have it in the context of our boundary tools right and so you may create a sticker and you can say whether that can be remixable or not and so that means whether i can include it in other things that are being being created um, um and so when we think about um, that, it's not just about the licensing. So we'll talk, we, we have uh, robust support for licensing and we can reference like where it's licensed and whatnot. Um, and so everyone can see the terms of that and that allows people to programmatically, because the key thing is not just be able to, to, to say what your license is, but do it in a, in a format and, and try to work within the, the industry and propose EIPs, which we will do, that will help people understand like, Hey, if I if I'm gonna take this asset in, let me go look at the license. Is it licensed properly? And if it is, I'll just bring it in, which will drive some cool stuff. Um, so I mean, that's a key part of it. The other thing is making sure people get paid, right? And so one of the things that we're doing is is we believe, and I talked earlier about like, like weapons, be able to bring multiple pieces together and and whatnot, and you get up stickers on skins and skins on on parts of weapons and things like that. Um, the key thing there is that we we've, we've spent a lot of time investing in in how we handle um, complex royalties. And so that way, like we're making sure that everybody gets paid. And so it's not just so part of part of your question is like we, we'll have licensing to make sure people's um, work is, is, is well represented. Um, the other thing is that we'll make sure that when their work, their, if they want their work to be reused in other places, um, then there's uh, we've got mechanisms in place to make sure they get rewarded for that. Right? And so they can say, yes, I'm open to people including this in the skins that they're building and whatnot. And, and, and we also have royalties that will handle that at multiple layers across across uh, things and provide transparency and sort of the UX um, for that. So we'll really hit it from, from multiple dimensions, both in making sure you get paid to make sure that it's licensed while also making sure that it's portable and, and uh, can be used wherever the creator thinks it can be. The other thing, we're also tackling really interesting scenarios too in that regard, right? And so you may design something for a, a MEF. So a MEF, um, for folks who might be less familiar, another term in other games might be a guild or things like that. And so you have a group of players that are playing together. You may design cosmetics that are only like a team shirt or things like that. You don't want people, you don't want to lose those inside of a game, right? And so how do you make sure that those designs are protected and stay within there uh, and, and only used by by people who are within in, in your group? 
Um, the other thing that's really important is, um, is that we'll have a reputation system. And so, um, you know, a lot of Web3 concepts, but implemented in ways that are familiar to users. And so if you think about like a DAO, there's voting and so you can vote and people can sort of raise up concerns about bad behavior, those can be voted on. We've got a reputation system that can be shared um, outside the game. Um, and then um, we can make sure that if you're, if you're trying to create stuff that's copying other people's work, um, you know, it'll, it'll hurt your reputation, hurt what you're able to, to go do. Um, on, on that regard, like there, there are other safeguards that I won't talk about on the call today that we're putting in place to make sure that people's IP is protected. Um, that. So that, that's the one great thing is, is you imagine with people who are creating wonderful things, they want to make sure they're pr protecting people who create wonderful things. And so it's really sort of built into whether it's the, the, the things we have inside of our Foundry tool to things we're looking at inside of our, our collector tool. Um, sort of our marketplace tool uh, with, with collections and, and some of the features we'll have there for um, uh, the NFTs that can be listed there um, is, is pretty impressive. Awesome. Yeah, trust is important. Um, so I'm going to deviate from my last question um, a little bit and ask you about the, uh, you know, I remember when I was in, growing up, I, when I was 16, I played Deadly Towers. When I was 17, I played the Sword of Vermilion. Like though you mentioned worlds, right? Those are worlds that I'll never forget that I experienced. You have a bunch of uh, you have a bunch of arcade games on your uh, in your room and where you're at right now. And I wish I could have some. Um, my wife won't allow it. Um, but what, why do you have like what is your experience with them? What do you like enjoy the most? Which one and and why? So the one that I enjoyed the most isn't actually up yet. It just came in. It's I saved the best one for last, which is a game called Dragon's Lair. Um, so for me, I grew up in a place called Tewksbury, Massachusetts. And uh, we had a place called the New England Grand Prix where they had these games that came in where you go and explore different things. You could play Cyberball where you played, you know, football as, as, as robots. Or you could play Gauntlet where you're like a, a wizard or, or whatnot. Um, and so... Loved playing these games as I was a kid. And then um, during COVID, my, I used to travel all the time when I worked for Microsoft. My wife's like, hey, you need a hobby. So I bought one of these things and then uh, then I took it apart and then I could discover it, uh, discover that I could modify it with a Raspberry Pi. Then I discovered it again that I could modify it with a PC. And so for me, um, a lot of this is part of it's nostalgia. Um, part of it is um, just, it's been a fun hobby for me to, to, to learn. Uh, and then just learning the nuances. Like if you ever played like Duck Hunt or something like that on the Nintendo, um, those guns don't work with TVs anymore because the TVs are different. And so there's like a guy. And so it's fun finding that technology. Like there's a guy in the UK named Sinden who created this gun that uh, actually have one of them here. You usually can't see it, I'll show it to you. But like this actually has a, a camera in it and functions like a mouse. So for me, it's there's the innovation of what came before. Um, and then sort of the connectivity to where we are now is just sort of like an ongoing journey. And I will say, like, we'll have people over here and um, it, it is, there is no replacement for the, the smile that I have on my face when someone come in and say, hey, I played this game outside the 7-Eleven like 20 years ago. Do you have that? And I could say, well, actually, I do. Let's take a look. And then you see it and you can see it, it brings back your child, like games and, and movies and music. They just have this indelible mark on our, our memories that brings people back to, to great experiences. So for me, it's, it's a lot of fun. So it's a mixture of engineering, just plain old fun, and then a little bit of nostalgia. Awesome. 
Um, so I want to thank you very much uh, for your time today. This has been a wonderful, enjoyable conversation for me. And I have one final, I have one final question, and that is, how can people find out more information about you, about Shrapnel? Uh, how can they play your game, get involved in the community? How can they do any of that? So, I mean, the the easiest way is go to shrapnel.com. Um, we've got a lot of stuff there. If you want to learn about the game, you can see the links to our trailer there. You can also see um, uh, the white paper if you're more of a crypto person, which I imagine a lot of your audience is. Um, you can see uh, a lot of the work that's there. And then you can join our um, our Discord or see us on Twitter. And so on Twitter, our handle is uh, at PlayShrapnel. And if you want to learn more about me, like I'm on LinkedIn, just uh, Mark McCurry, uh, LinkedIn.com. Um, Thank you very much for your time today. As well. Uh.